Now it is Black History Month. Uh, horse racing itself is endeavouring to uh, widen its demographic, to broaden its appeal. Uh, in addition, um, Epsom Downs as an entity and the Derby is seeking to re-establish itself as one of the premier venues in the sport and to try and attract its largely urban surrounding population to what is undoubtedly one of the great days for all of us who are passionate about horse racing. I know a lot of people in this game. I know there aren't too many people who are more passionate about either of those causes than Brian Finch, the chair of Epsom Downs, who's been in situ for four months and joins me now. Brian, great to welcome you to Luck on Sunday. Thank you, Nick. Thank you for having me. And I think it is fair to say that you do have the time and the energy now to devote to, to what is one of your, your great passions. Why is racing such a, a, a great passion for you? That's a good question, Nick. Uh, um, I'm, I'm not quite sure where it all how it all came together, but uh, my dad took us, as my, my younger brother and I, as kids to the race course back in Zimbabwe, which is where I'm born and bred uh, and educated. And um, he was madly keen on football. Mm -hmm. So Sundays were a football day with the family. Uh, we used to have players in the house. It, it was quite a big thing, football. And racing was his release. So he mm -hmm. took his two boys with him. And I quickly realized I was never going to be as good as my dad. Uh, and my younger brother looked like my dad. So I kind of passed that on to him. <laughs> And I went down the racing angle. And um, I loved going there, loved the horse. Uh, I was a little kid, we'd run around looking over the fence and, and, and looking at the horses. Then you'd dash across to the parade ring and look at them there. And as a nine, 10 year old, you dream uh, one day. You know, I hope I'm big enough and wealthy enough to, to you know, have a racehorse of my own. And uh, as life progressed, you know, the dream came to reality. Um, what was, what was horse racing in Zimbabwe like then? How did it look and feel as a, as a sport and as a, as a business? Well, very much a, a, in a sense, a racing province, even though a separate country, a, a racing province of South Africa. Yeah. Uh, so all the administration was very much done by the uh, uh, Jockey Club of South Africa, as it was then. Um, um, and, you know, I went through the whole rigmarole of having to apply for colours and not quite have an interview, but, uh, but you know, uh, given a limited selection of colours that I could choose from. Uh, provide all your financial data. It was pretty strict uh, and a very proud moment to finally get my colors in 1996 uh, and uh, um, You know borrowed a race course still goes on today still racing today uh, twice a month despite the economic challenges in the country at the minute and um, Yeah, it was a great day out there. You know it, it you really thought about it from the previous weekend to how you were planning for the next week and Easter I always remember the Easter bonnet day on a Sunday the whole family went out, you had picnics, uh, crowds were big, uh, great racing. Um, a lot of international jockeys came there for some of the jockey uh, internationals. It was good racing in a small country, but, uh, but it really, really got me going. And I got to see Lester Pickett uh, ride at Borrowdale, and uh, he, was, he was my, the late Lester Pickett, I should say, my great hero. So, so to finally get to meet him here and talk with him and talk, uh, you know, talk about racing, and then to you know, get to sees association in person with Epsom mm. and find myself at Epsom. I, I couldn't have scripted it, Nick. Um, you know, they always say you join the dots backwards. Uh, in my case, yeah, certain things have come together in a way that I could never have imagined, and, and here I am. And when you were still in Zimbabwe toward the, the latter um, stages of your, of your days there, what image did you have of racing in Britain? Always followed racing in, in Britain. Mm. Uh, it was always the pinnacle. Uh, it was always the prestige. It's where the, where the sport started. You, we always thought of uh, Lords in very much the same way, uh, cricket, 
uh, and Lords was hallowed ground. And uh, if I ever got the chance, I'd, you know, we'd uh, go and go to Lords one day and, and kiss the turf. Uh, same with Wimbledon. So racing was uh, very much uh, in that same sphere. And of course, football is very, very big. So for uh, a Liverpool fan like me, the mere thought of I might get to Anfield one day uh, and, and be able to sit in the stands and touch the grass was, was like a dream. Uh, but back to racing, British racing was really regarded as, as the place you wanted to be and, and, and experience racing there. And I'm lucky enough to have had that opportunity. Do you believe that that is a view that still persists around the world? Or are we running out of road? I think the prestige is still there, and you see it at our big meetings, um, and you see the number of internationals that come here. So, so that clearly is, is something that I think British racing can be proud of. Um, you can't create history. It's there, and, uh, and we have to nurture that and, and, and progress it. But are there some challenges? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and I was interested to hear your previous conversations around prize money and the fixture list and everything else. Those are some of the issues that I think the sport has to, has to address and address relatively quickly. And accept that it's probably not going to have an immediate benefit. You know, you, you're turning a ship here. <laughs> so it's going to take a couple of years of not feeling like we're doing anything, but you'll start to see the right indicators when you take those actions. And, and hopefully you can get British racing not just being a prestigious place to be, but a place that British owners want to race because they can get a fair return. You're probably still going to lose money owning a racehorse, but get a fair return for your investment. With your years of boardroom experience, with your years in, in business and in industry and as a leader under your belt, when you look at racing's leadership, when you look at its attempt to change its governance, when you look at the conversations we've been having particularly in the last six weeks, what do you see? I see a, a realisation, firstly, uh, that something needs to change, and that's always a, a big positive. Uh, the what that has to change and how we're going to go about it is the difficult part. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think the steps around addressing governance, I think, is, is particularly crucial. Um, because you need a central body who's going to take the tough decisions, whether they impact one party or not, uh, they're going to have to take those decisions, but take them for the right reasons and actually clarify what those reasons are. So if we can address the governance issue, first of all, I think there's a fair chance that we can, we, I'm talking about the sport here, yeah. can get it to, to change direction. So you're involved with a race course, you're involved with a major race course. Now you are a non-executive sure. chair. You're not an executive chair, you're a non-executive chair, you make that point quite clearly. But do you believe it's right now for the race courses as a whole, particularly the senior race courses, to take a step back and say, to an extent we need to take our medicine for a little bit in order to, to, to grow the sport? I think based on conversations you've probably had with uh, people like uh, Nevin Truesdale, chief executive, uh, Sandy Dudgeon, the senior steward of the jockey club, there is a recognition that whatever fix has to, that will have to happen, will come with some pain. Mm -hmm. So I think that recognition is there. The question is, so what is it exactly that we're going to do? Because, and I think that's because the word piling it higher and higher and higher and higher isn't a sustainable model. No, no, I don't, th I don't a, think it a, is. Do you think, do you think the sport has come round to that recognition more in the last year or so? Yes, I think so. Uh, but there's also the consequence of how, how the, the racing industry is structured and how it draws its revenue. So you realize it's not quite great to pile it high. Uh, and continue having more racing because you're starting to alienate your core franchise, let alone the, the new people coming in. But by the same token, somebody's got to pay the bills. Uh, and that 
conundrum, I think, is what everybody's struggling with at the moment, is, is how much pain can we take and how quickly can we do this? And uh, listening uh, to a lot of the media commentary around this and, and, and reading social media, of course, everybody would like a drastic turnaround tomorrow. Mm. But you've got to be realistic that there's businesses that need to run and uh, there's revenues that need to, in a sense, be, if not protected, somehow uh, um, managed in, in, in a sensible way. Uh, and, and I think that's the work that the leaders have, have, have got to do. And, and good luck to them getting going with that pretty quickly because they do need to, to act on it. You are, you are going to be one of the most recognisable chairs of any race course in the country because you're under your auspices is the is the derby which is a race that is more talked about in terms of its of its standing than any other do you have a vision for this race and a vision for this day in your in your mind i'm four months in now nick so um, uh, ideas are plenty um, I, I was lucky enough to join the committee at epsom uh, under julia budd uh, when the, the beginnings of a five-year plan for the derby were being developed uh, there were a number of presentations done in by the executive of which the committee were, were very much involved in, building what we think the event could look like in five years' time. And what you experienced uh, in June this year was, was year one. And um, definitely some learnings that came out of that uh, in, in terms of areas that we can improve on. But on the whole, I thought it was an excellent, excellent derby. Uh, you know, attendances were very strong. Uh, we tried a lot of new things in the infield to try and uh, revitalize that. Uh, obviously, it was a wonderful occasion to celebrate uh, the Platinum Jubilee of uh, our late monarch. Um, I thought having you know, the, the jockeys out the front and creating these memorable moments and, 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 and pictures, which went worldwide, I thought were quite powerful. And, um, and I've got to thank the Jockey Club because they, they released the shackles and gave us, uh, gave us some more investment. Uh, and I, when I say us, I'm talking about the executive along with the committee. And, and I thought for a first step, it was, it was tremendous. So we've got here too, we're hard at work at it already. Um, and, um, and I think you'll see some, you know, some improvement on what we experienced this year. And attendance, you're bucking the trend there. So it was quite yes. significant that Derby Day, Royal Ascot did pretty well, Glorious Goodwood did pretty well, York did pretty well. But you know, that was against the tide of, of what's happening at the moment. Are you hopeful that even with a, another economic downturn in the offing, that, that you'll be able to keep that attendance level up on Derby Day? Yes, very hopeful, uh, and I think we should plan for that. Uh, not, being, uh, not ignoring uh, mm -hmm. circumstance uh, in the economy at the minute. Um, pricing for Derby in some of our areas is already available, um, and uh, we, we're tracking that to see how well we perform. They are once-in-a-year memorable-type events. You want to go to them. It, you can go to another race meeting, but you can only go to one derby mm -hmm. in, a, in a particular year. So that, I think, is quite a big selling point. Um, it's, it's one crop of horses that will only have one chance to run in the derby. So I think we've got a few things there that we can leverage, but we're very, very cognizant of, uh, of uh, the pressure on disposable income, and we have to make sure we can provide avenues for everybody to be able to come in. Yeah. And I think this is where the infield... Uh, provides a lot of opportunity for us. There's areas that are free, but we still have to provide, you know, you know right. Uh, what's you still have to provide an experience. Yeah, absolutely. Make sure people can get bathrooms and toilets and, 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 and more, more important, safety. And entertainment. Yeah, uh, and, and that we will provide so that it's a, it's a day out. And, and, um, so are you trying to get the hill pumping again? Yes, very much so. The hill is, is central to our strategy. There's, there's 
the clients and customers that want to come and sit in the stands and have a you know a dress up day and we will obviously provide for that but for everybody else you know the derby is your derby the more i read about the derby and you realize how much a part of social history it is here in the uk it's been going for 242 years mm. uh and and we mustn't lose that so so we've got to make sure we cater for uh for i was gonna say king to pauper but it Maybe that's a bad phrase. It's for everyone, basically, at the level that you can afford to, to partake in it. And if that just means I'm coming there for free and I'm going to have a picnic and I'll sit there and watch racing, thank you very much. Please do. It's your derby. And, uh, and we'll keep working on that. It's all very well to say we need to get it closer to the national consciousness. We do. We actually need to get it closer to the consciousness of people who live off Epsom High Street. Yes. Half of whom might not actually be aware that yes. it's that it's taking place. It surprised me, Nick. We've lived in Epsom since 2005, but uh, as you know, I worked abroad uh, mm. for a long time, and, and we've been back now just close on six years living in the town again. And I, I often feel there's a, there's a little disconnect between the town and uh, a, a magnificent race course, which is a mile and a quarter up the road. Um, so we have some work to do there with the council. How do you uh, do that? Yeah, we're talking to them a little bit earlier. We're talking to them about our plans. We're engaging on a, on a, on a, on a local basis. Um, I've got a new GM coming in in December. Uh, I'm very excited to have him. Um, the previous GM was, was, was double hatting in a sense, a tremendous guy as well, but had a lot on his plate. So I get a dedicated GM, James Crespi, who will be joining me in December. He's been at Goodwood, hasn't he? So yes. he comes in as general yeah, so manager. So he's knowledgeable about racing. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, it's an executive responsibility, but our committee will be helping him just to, to reconnect and try and get the community in and around Epsom, uh, being proud of, of uh, the, the national event that they host in their town just up the road. And, and there was one thing last year that really struck me, that you did an event on the Downs on yeah. Thursday, Thursday night? Thursday night. Which community was very day. much a community event. Yeah. Is there a chance that that can be built through the week, that we can have, that Derby Week can become a thing, rather than just a couple of minutes on Saturday afternoon? You've asked me, you know, what's your vision? It is Derby Week. Uh, this is me as, as, as a non-exec chair saying, how can we get it to the point where a week prior to the race itself, we are doing events associated with the derby in and around the race course. Mm -hmm. uh, and the community event was a, was a first step in that direction. It was fantastic. It, was, it went better than we expected. Uh, and, and that's brilliant because you learn by doing. So we're already planning now about how we can enhance that. Uh, there's an opportunity for Wednesday. Um, there's the opportunity for final declarations and draws. Th there's many, many levers I think we can play. But I think you can have in your mind that at some point in time you will have events that build up to a, a derby week. Lest any of the, um, the go back to a Wednesday derby uh, devotees are going to misconstrue what you just said. There's an opportunity for Wednesday. You didn't mean you were going to move the Not derby back all. to no. Wednesday. I meant events happening, building yeah, up to the derby it. on Saturday. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for clarifying. No, 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 no. <laughs> I was just I was just sensing Finch says derby <laughs> yeah. could go back to Wednesday. Why do you think it's better on a Saturday, if indeed you do think it's better on a Saturday? Is that the Derby's natural home, or is the idea of putting it on a Friday night or a Sunday or a Wednesday or anywhere else to stop it competing with all the other sporting attractions a goer, or is it just not a goer commercially? I, I think, Nick, we, 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 as I say, at the beginning of a new strategy, which is centred on the fact that it is on a Saturday, mm -hmm. so let's live with that. Uh, we've got people's lives have changed fundamentally. Um, uh, Saturday is the day that they go out. Yes, you recognize that you, you're competing with other sporting events. Take, for example, next year, we would be up against the FA Cup final uh, happening up in North London. So we've got to find a way to have our, our, our fair share of voice. Um, I don't think we're going to argue too much around where we are. The question is, how do we make it work for us and mm -hmm. work in the best way possible? And when I say us, I mean us as the 
organization providing the product and the service, but for the customers that come, that they can make a conscious decision that Friday, Oaks Day is a day that they want to come racing, and Saturday, Derby Day is a day that they definitely want to come racing, and make those two days really powerful you know, racing events. Does it make sense that there is racing on in Britain and Ireland right up to the Derby and right up after the Derby at a million different venues? Um, do we not, as a sport, need to make sure that these are, these events have their have their place centre stage, and that there are no distractions? You asking that question as Brian Finch, the chair, or Brian Finch, the racing fan? Brian Finch, the racing fan. I would. I, it would be the centrepiece for me. So I would have less races around it, or less meetings around it. I appreciate up north, uh, um, there are other race meetings and other clientele that want to go racing on a Saturday, but it would should be the centerpiece of, the, of a racing program. This is me, the racing mm -hmm. fan. Um, are we not an agile enough sport to be able to say, right, yeah, if you want to race at Musselburgh, Catrick, wherever else, you've got, you start at 11, finish at 2.30. And then you've got from 2.30 right the way through until 5-ish, completely clear. Yeah, I, I think in the absence of any data to show how people would react and, and, and the impact that would have on the other businesses that are running racing and, and you know on those days I, I couldn't couldn't offer an opinion we'd be mm. we'd be having a bit of pub talk if, uh, if that were the case but uh, I certainly think there's there's opportunity and, and I know from my experience in South Africa when you had uh, the very very big day whether that was in in, in Durban or Johannesburg or in, 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 in Cape Town the other centers carried your race meeting so, so you, you would almost have, you could come to X meeting in Cape Town in Johannesburg and the whole theme of that meeting carried that way. So people who didn't travel fly down for two hours to come to Cape Town to celebrate it actually had their equivalent of, you know, the, the, derby, uh, the derby at York, for example, and I'm just picking a random, uh, a random race course. Is there opportunity for those kind of things? Yes, I, I would like to believe so. And I think as the race courses start to work together and, and, and people realize it's about the bigger picture and not just always your own individual patch, perhaps there's opportunity for those kind of uh, um, interventions. I mean, from a racing point of view this year, what we did see was almost a full field yes. of runners for the Derby. To what extent does that um, form a, a big part of your ambition for the race? Very much so. And, uh, and um, we were talking about the entry structures the other day, what works best. Uh, we engage quite a lot with trainers. Um, in particular, uh, how do you do that? Um, you know, what will work best to, to make sure we can get the right horses coming to come and race in Have June? you had a lot of pushback on the, on the yearling entry system, or, or do you think that is something that will stay? I, I'd be giving away a little bit too early, Nick. Uh, put it this way, we're still talking about what's the best way forward. Okay. Uh, so that is under review? We, we review all these issues yeah. constantly. I think perhaps one thing racing uh, hasn't done enough of, and this again is me just offering an, a, a view from the outside, is circumstance during COVID meant you had to do things in a slightly different way. Mm -hmm. Somehow post the pandemic, we, we've almost gone back to everything we've done prior to uh, COVID without taking some of the learnings that have come from that. So the yearling entry came about as a consequence of the pandemic, but we learned something from that. So we're now asking the obvious questions, is that the right way to go? Or do we revert back to entries, uh, you know, uh, at full stage? So we're discussing this right now. I say we. There's a team doing that. It's mainly the executive, but uh, but we we certainly, as a committee, have uh, have some input into that. It's not just young horses that you're interested in. I know it is 
um, attracting young people to, to yeah. the race course that is a particular passion of yours. You were taking to, to, to the races by your dad at, yeah. at nine and ten and, and got the bug, and that, yeah. that's really informed your whole life in racing. Um, I hope you don't mind me relaying that you did a very sweet thing for me when I took my daughter racing at Epsom uh, back in the year. We were just there on a, on a day out and just potted in, and uh, you walked up and started chatting to us, chatted to my daughter, who was 11 at the time, and very sweetly said to her, would you like to present the trophy for the first race? Now, you're not going to do that to every child who's on the race course. And I realise this because I know you and I'm in a privileged position and whatnot. But it did strike me, Brian, you were, you were, you were so struck by the fact that there was somebody under the age of 12 at the races that you know, your eyes were, were drawn to that. And you know, to what extent does that really drive what you're doing? A lot, uh, Nick. I, I think if you're not looking after your future customers, um, you're very, very quickly going to end up with a, a, a customer base who are aging in profile, who actually don't want any change because, as you well know, as we get older, we want things exactly as they always are. My cup stays here and, you know, this sort of thing. We get set in our ways. Uh, and there's a whole new audience out there that are waiting to be engaged in racing. Mm -hmm. uh, and if we don't step up as a sport in talking to young people, finding out what it is that they want, helping them understand this wonderful, unique, odd, quirky, but very special sport that we have, uh, and finding out how we can make it work for them. We're going to have a very old franchise in a very quick, uh, short space of time. Um, and and it, it'll just do this. And those kids will look for their enjoyment and for their passions elsewhere. So yeah, I think it's very much a part of what we want to do. I, I was fascinated that you had Andrew Braithwaite here, um, because Epsom is just about to launch a, beach, a beacon product, project actually put my teeth back, they have <laughs> launched uh, a beacon project um, with racing to school. Mm -hmm. That's going to a school, Blenheim High School in, 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 in Epsom, not far from where I live actually, uh, and bringing those kids in to this wonderful space and talking to them about what happens in the weighing room. It's all about math in the weighing room. It's handicapping is math. So it's a wonderful way to study, a practical way of, of, of practicing your mathematics. Uh, while you're at a race course, while you've got grass all around you, while you've got fresh air, uh, and I think it's a fabulous project. And, uh, and I said to Andrew earlier that uh, he, will, he can count on full support from Epsom and, and hands-on support from the chair if he, if he needs well, it. The thing is, racing can get you right across the curriculum, can't it, if you, think, it if, you th if you think creatively enough. I was struck by something you said there. You said the sport's fun, quirky, sometimes a bit weird, complicated. And that you think that, I'm putting words in your mouth, I infer from that that you think that the best way of communicating to the younger generation is to embrace the complexity of the sport rather than to try and distill it into something that is bite-sized. It's not a very easy sport to understand if you just watch it for the very first time and go, well, it's just horses running around the field. And you go, well, yes. And then you have the big, but let me explain. And you can, you can start off from they're in the stalls and one through to 17 and why the draw means such a big difference. Let me explain why they have their numbers and their saddle clocks. Let me explain the handicapping system. And the minute you start to talk to a novice around those sort of issues, the quirky stuff that we get excited about, they start to realize this is a bit more interesting than I thought. I just thought it was horses going around a track. And then you can really start to build some engagement, conversation with, with those fans. And young people get it. They get it very, very quickly. It's like how they pick up a phone and they quickly know how to well, well, they get it. A, young, a younger person, somebody yeah. of 10, is going gonna, is gonna to be able to learn a language much quicker than Absolutely. someone who's 30. Absolutely, Nick. And it's exactly that. And we have to reach out now and start to do this. And you'll see in some of these Black History Month yeah. videos that we talk about, I keep talking about, just reach out to the person next to them and ask them, 
What are you looking at? Do you know what you're looking at? Let me tell you something. It'll take you 15 seconds, 30 seconds of your time. But the experience it does to that person that's next to them is profound because you will have given them an answer to something that they possibly were too shy or didn't think they were going to ask. Mm -hmm. And it's just made their day and the experience that much more enhanced. Racing Inc., if you like, will feel very pleased that there is a black chair at one of its premier race courses. That's not enough, though, is it? Even though, even though racing has you, that's not enough for the, for the sport. Well, if, 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 if I've broken the ceiling, uh, I hope I've, I've properly broken it so that others can follow. And um, uh, I certainly hope the leadership, and I've had that view from the Jockey Club, who, I, I again, I thank them for having asked me to join. And, and, and they've given me tremendous support, uh, Nick, and I, and I want to really compliment them yeah. for that. Uh, I've, I've felt so incredibly welcome. It's, 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 uh, it's a little scary sometimes. <laughs> I keep wondering, what have I done to deserve this? But I hope others can come up and think, well, he's there. Uh, and, and I hope it's a she thing. And what about me? And what does it take to get there? And hey, Brian, can you help me understand what your journey was? And my journey will be very different to all the others. But it's more the, the understanding that there's not, nothing really stopping you if you want it. You need a helping hand. We all, we all need a helping hand as we go forward. And that's simply somebody saying, come with me. Okay, let me show you where you can go. Let me introduce you to somebody. Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? It's little simple things like that, Nick. But I promise you, if you're on the receiving end of that kind of invitation, which I was, it means the world. And you grow in confidence and bravery. And, uh, and off you go. Um, Brian, in terms of, in terms of your, your enthusiasm for the sport, your passion for the sport, has it been... Has it been bolstered by your experience uh, on, on committees and as chair at Epsom, or has it in any way been diminished by it? No, definitely not diminished. Uh, I've, I've met some tremendous people. Um, so, uh, chair of Epsom, I sit on the committee at Sandown, which is great. Sandown's a dual-purpose course, um, uh, and one of the leading dual-purpose courses, I think. Um, so I've got to learn a little bit about jumps racing. I'm clearly more a flat man, having grown up that way uh, in Zimbabwe. Um, I sit on the National Horse Racing Museum. Uh, I'm a trustee there. Um, I love art, but I don't know enough about it. Uh, and all of a sudden, you realize that there's a business, uh, and, and it's a particular uh, area. So I've, I've, I've enjoyed that, um, and I've learned a lot, and I've met some tremendous people through that. And just recently, uh, I became the independent chair of the racing group at the BHA, so I've had a bit more interaction with the, mm -hmm. with the governing body. So uh, has it diminished my, my love and enthusiasm for the sport? No. That's good. Uh, <laughs> has it made me recognize some of the challenges the sport has? Yeah, oh, yes, definitely. Uh, but again, the willingness to talk about it, Nick, I think is, is, is a huge positive for the sport. Uh, everybody recognizes that we, it's, it's time. The question well, is, you know, what, what will follow from here?